Welcome to the Mini Break Podcast, your daily roundup of the biggest storylines, results, and controversy in the tennis world. Today is Thursday, March 14th, and I am your host, Max Rothman. And today, joining me on this episode to recap the round of 16 at Indian Wells is someone that Alex Gruskin likes to to call the cocaine of tennis. And so I've now, you know, figured I I have to have a nickname for you. Uh, And I don't know how this hasn't happened yet, but welcome to the mini break podcast, Matt, the cracks to Koviak. What's up, baby? (laughs) I love it, man. I love it. What is going on, Rothman? It is good to hear your voice. Man, it's been a while since we've done this, huh? Yeah, seriously. We've needed some alone time away from, you know, Papa Gruskin over there. That's right. It's always good to just take a little break, step back. I think this is going to I think it's going to go well, man. Absolutely. Well, so I have, I have a few things I need to say before we start um, that are in relation to the mini break of yesterday. One. So first of all, the matches from yesterday were a lot more exciting than today's. And I needed more, you know, craziness out of you guys. Like if I was on yesterday's mini break, I would have started with, you know, Westoff get ready for a million quacks. I would have been like, holy f- <laughs> shit. Like, I would have been like, holy yeah, um, sorry about that, everyone. But seriously, like, there were so many upsets yesterday, it was crazy. So I just at least had to convey my enthusiasm for yesterday's matches. And then I'm vowing for the rest of this episode to not bring up Gruskin because you guys made him sound like he was famous yesterday. Um, so I, I, I'm not even talking about Gruskin. I'm not going to use his name for the rest of this episode, um, or at least I'm going to try not to. And, and if so, I don't know, I'll, I'll take a shot or something. Um, That's fair. That's fair. I'm all in. All right, cool. Um, but as I said, you know, the the matches of today were, uh, and today being Wednesday, you know, we're, we're not as exciting, but we do want to break down a few of them and, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about all of them uh, except for the monfils Kohlschreiber match because that is yet to play. Uh, but starting with our first match, I think the one that we have to talk about because it was the only three-setter of the day and the most exciting uh, was the Denis Shapovalov versus Uber Hurkacz. I watched this match. I have some thoughts, but I kind of want to start with you and, and hear your unfiltered thoughts on, on what you saw today. Yeah, I was actually pretty shocked by this result. I mean, Hurkacz, obviously an up-and-coming player. Jamie and I talked about him yesterday on the pod. Uh, good young player, about 6'5", hits a big ball, but... With the form that Shapovalov was in, I thought he was taking this one. You know, he took out Chilich yesterday very convincingly. And, uh, you know, he just wasn't able to string together back-to-back matches. Lost the first set in a tight tiebreaker. Uh, and then he battled back well. You know, I-, I thought going into that third set, he was going to take it for sure. I thought he was the favorite. Uh, but credit to Hercotch, man. I mean, he's making a serious run here into the quarters now. I mean, this is a guy that is a serious threat on tour now, right? Yeah. Well, hold on. First of all, you really thought that he was going to take that third set considering the way that Chapo dominated the second? I mean, he... No, no, no. That's that's what I meant. I thought I thought Dennis oh, was going to oh, take the third. Oh, you thought Dennis. Okay, yeah. yeah no, sure. I, I agree. Um, I mean, look, he's had an unreal run so far at Indian Wells. I mean, he, he took out Nishikori the round before. He took out Pui the round before that. And, you know, a convincing win over Donald Young in the first round. Yeah, he's good, man. He, he plays smart tennis. He's got a, a nice backhand. He, his serve is obviously very strong. Um, and, you know, I think he's been just on the brink of kind of a, a breakthrough, uh, you know, leading up to this tournament. 
plays Marseille, you know, has a, a convincing win over Krijanovic and then loses to Tsitsipas, which is not a bad loss, of course. You know, the next tournament, he, he plays Dubai, beats Quarantine Mute, and then, you know, beats Nishikori. Uh, this is the second time in a row he's beaten Nishikori and then loses in a tough three-set match to Tsitsipas again. So, I mean, I feel like he's just been on the brink, and uh, I guess this is his breakthrough tournament. Yeah, 100%. Breakthrough tournament and 2019 looks to be his breakthrough year. Remember, Rothman, we did see him at the next-gen finals in Milan at the end of 2018. And I feel like he was kind of the forgotten man at that tournament a little bit. Everybody yeah. was talking about Fritz and Tiafo and Tsitsipas. Nobody really talked about Hercotch at all. You know, Demonor, that was another guy that was in Milan. Mm -hmm. Man, I'll tell you what. These next-gen guys are really – they're starting to come on, man. They are. It's it's fun. It is so fun. Uh, and, you know, just – this was a very, in my opinion uh, – clear example of a next-gen match I think you saw some swings and you know you know we've talked about her you know her coach a lot so far and I think there's a lot to be said about Chapo and the way he played in this match I mean you saw him get pretty frustrated at times um you know it, it seemed much more like her was the more mentally strong player and uh you know the older player per se because of it uh so I think you know that that is definitely something that probably hurt Chapo in this match but just taking a quick look at the stats as I was saying Hercotch's first serve uh, and serve in general is strong he was serving 67% and winning 70% of those first serves uh, as opposed to Chapo's 58% first serve percentage and you know still converting though on 72% and and the big stat here that I think is is important to look at uh, Hercotch saves five of eight break points I mean that's that's a really nice conversion rate uh, you know, shows that he was being mature on, on the big points. It, he looked really good, just really solid all around. Yeah, he played the big points better. That's really what it came down to in that third set. He took advantage of the opportunities, and, and Dennis did not. Um, and like you mentioned about those serving stats, I do want to bring that up because yesterday, uh, Shapovalov served unbelievable against Marin Cilic, and that really helped him win that match. Today, he wasn't able to bring it again. And, you know, when he's playing a good player like Hercoc, we see what happens. So it just goes to show you that on tour, the margins are so slim. I mean, if you're having a slightly off day, whether that's your serve or your ground strokes, any little part of the game... That's it, man. That's all it takes. Yeah, I mean, in all of these podcasts that we break down the stats, I mean, that is usually the first thing we look at is that first serve percentage. How have these guys been able to take care of their serves? And then, you know, most of the time when, when we look at the faults in a, in a player's game, it's because they, you know, first serve's not going in enough and they're not, you know, not uh, holding enough of their second serve points. And so, uh, you know, clearly this is another indication of how important that is and, uh, I think we'll we'll continue to see that moving forward. Uh, but any other thoughts on this match before we, we move on to the next one? No, I think we can leave it there. I mean, obviously, breakthrough tournament, like we already mentioned, for Hercotch. Great to see him do well. Dennis was having a great run. I thought for sure we were going to see him in the quarterfinals. He'll be disappointed with this one, uh, you know, playing a, a fellow next-gen player like Hercotch. I know we wanted that win, but just didn't have it today. So we'll see what Hercotch can do in the quarters. Yeah, it's funny. Right as I said, any last thoughts? I realize I do have a last thought. The big problem for Chapo in this match was his his lack of confidence at the net. I think there were multiple times where he could have put away points. Um, you know, if he had been more confident at the net, if he works on his volleys, and I and we, I think we say that about a bunch of these next gen guys. 
I think it'd make a huge difference in this game. But we can end there. Uh, you know, a couple of the other matches that we wanted to to break down. Um, let's let's move to the the Isner Kachanov, or as we like to say, Kachanov <laughs> match. Uh, this was you know an interesting one because you've got two guys uh, with good serves. Isner, who you know last match had uh, a fairly easy win, um, you know. With his six three six four win over Guido Pei, and then and the round before that, you know the zero and two over Popperin, so he hasn't really been tested yet. Um, Kachanov came out hot, man. He was returning well. Uh, you know he was playing pretty smart. You know making sure that the points he was in, he was controlling the ball and controlling the court. Uh, what what did you see here? Yeah, obviously it's big boy tennis, and like you mentioned, Isner was in great form coming into this one. I mean, he was hardly dropping games. You know, he didn't even play one tiebreaker before the round of 16. That's which is, crazy. That's nuts. I mean— I don't, I don't know if there's any stats on that, but I wonder how many times he's made it to, like, the round of 16 of a tournament without a tiebreak. It's yeah, probably almost never. <laughs> almost never. I mean, it has to be. So that, you know, that run was mind-boggling to me in and of itself, and I just— you know, Hatchinov obviously has more game from the baseline. That's where he's really able to separate himself from a John Isner. Obviously, you look at the serving stats, and and really, Isner's stats on the serve were a little bit better. He serves at 66% for serves compared to 52% for Hatchinov. I mean, Isner's winning 72% of those first serve points. Now, Hatchinov does win 79% of his first serve points, and the big one here, Rothman, 77% of his second serve points, Hatchinov defended his second serve extremely well, and and that here was the difference. I mean, the margins are slim, two big servers. To me, it really just comes down to their baseline games, and whenever they would get the serves back in play, and they're rallying... You're going to favor Hatchinov in that matchup almost every single time. It's tough for yeah. John. He needs to end the points quickly. And Hatchinov did a great job of extending mm. some of those to swing the point in his favor, I thought. Yeah, I I think you're spot on there. And I think this is awesome to see from Kachinov. Uh, you know, post-Australian Open, if you, you know, exclude... Uh, the the Davis Cup. He's had three first round losses. You know he loses to Berrettini at Sofia. He loses to Greek Spor. Uh, you know who's ranked 211 in the world uh, in Rotterdam, and then in Dubai loses to Basilashvili four and one. So he's had you know a, a rough start post Australian Open, and you know he he's shown that you know that that is not carried into this tournament. You know he he takes out Rublev before this, before that takes out Feliciano Lopez, and so you know he's obviously got. Uh, a tough match next round against Rafa, and and we'll we'll talk about that you know a little bit later when we talk about our matches to look forward to to tomorrow. But he looks good, man. I I, I really like the way he's hitting the ball. He looks confident out there. I, I don't have a whole lot more to say. I I just I'm I'm really excited to see him back on it because I had him in my stock downs uh, when when Grusk and I did our last pod when we did stock up stock downs, and you know I, he's moving back up the chain. So and and he's fun again. He's a next gen guy. It's fun to see these guys do well, so I'm, I'm glad to see him back, you know, and, and making positive uh, momentum. But any other thoughts on, on this match? 
Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with what you're saying there. He's he's a future top 10 player, no question about it. He has the mentality. He has the weapons. He has the physical stature. I mean, you just look at the guy, and you can tell that, I mean, he's an ideal type of tennis player in this day and age with his size, his ability to hit power, his movement for a guy at that size. And, and that mentality, he just, you know, he's had those tough losses and it didn't rattle him. He comes to a Masters 1000 event here, and look, he's in the quarterfinals. That's really all that needs to be said. So here, here's going to be our, our first little tangent here because I, I have to ask this question because I'm curious your thoughts. Who has the higher upside, him or Tsitsipas? And, and I know that the current, you know, their, their most recent results, you know, have some effect on what you've been thinking. But overall, looking at their career and their game style, who are you taking? God, man, that's such a tough question. You had to do it to me, man. <laughs> I mean, look, here, here's the differences. I mean, when you break down their games, Tsitsipas has the better all-around game, right? I mean, he comes into the net. He can mix it up with slice and variety. Kachanov is going to – he's going to hit bigger, obviously, from the baseline, the bigger serve. But I'd give the movement edge to Tsitsipas a little bit. A oh, little I bit. I disagree with that, man. See, I was watching I was watching Kachanov, you know, track down some balls from Isner today and I was like, I don't think there's any way Tsitsipas is making those. Okay, get back to me after he plays Rafa tomorrow. Let's see <laughs> let's see how well he looks when Rafa's whipping that ball around. I mean, look, it's close, right? I mean, both guys have super super great potential. Oh man. I mean, I want to answer your question. I really do. <laughs> But it's, it's hard for me because I really like both guys. I mean, Hatchinoff has the bigger game. But I think right now, just based off of what I've seen, I'm going to go Tsitsipas. And I don't even know why. But I just I just am. Because I got to okay. answer, I, I gotta answer it. I can't, mm. I can't back out. Yeah. So, so to answer my own question, I think – in current form, if you ask me to take someone to win a tournament, I'm going to take Tsitsipas because I think that against the older guys, uh, meaning the vets that are in the game, the you know the Nadals, the Feds, I think that he, like you said, has a little more variety, can change it up a little more. However, I think when this next gen becomes the gen of, of the players that are on tour, I think it's going to be Kachanov. I think... His game style is going to be more consistent over the years. And like you said, he hits the shit ball. So uh, I just think that it's that, a tough call, right? It's a really yeah. tough call. That's my answer. I, I don't, I don't want to get too far, far into it, but I, I think, you know, Oh God, I'm stumbling on my own question, but that, that's my <laughs> answer. I'm, I'm going CT pass now. Catching off long run, but let's let's move on to the last match that we're going to break down. Speaking of the current gen and the old guys, we had Federer take down Edmund today, four and one in just, or excuse me, one and four in a pretty dominant fashion. Um, dude, Fed looks good. Like everything's solid. He's taking things early. He's moving into the net a lot, and Edmund, who had been playing really good tennis up to this, you know. Wins the challenger beforehand, comes in, takes out Jerry 2-0, takes out Albot, who's been playing out of his mind 3-3, three and three, and then 
I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but I mean, came out of the gates cold against Fed. I mean, gets broken the first game, is shanking. Maybe he was nervous, but Fed just looks... I, I, Fed is going to win the tournament, in my opinion. I would love to see that. I hope you're right about that. I'm not so sure, but I, I would love to see that. You know, Fed, really, for me, I've always had the belief that Fed's game starts with his serve, right? Yeah. When he serves well, and he's serving up around 70% first serve percentage, and he can dictate off that first ball, he's not losing. He just yeah. he, he doesn't. As his serve goes... The rest of his game goes, and he's serving really, really well at this tournament. He said his body is pain-free. He feels great. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it. When he can just step on the court freely and not have to worry about his body or his age or you know any outside distractions, and he can just focus on his tennis, he clearly is still one of the top two or three players in the world. I mean, there's no question about it. He's he's in great form, and I, I love to see it. You know, Edmund, it's a tough matchup for him with his big power game. You know, in order for him to take out a Fed, he's really just going to have to be on hitting big balls to big targets, you know, limiting his unforced errors, and he just didn't have it today, and, you know, he didn't serve that well either, to be fair. Yeah, uh, no, I, I hear you there. And just to, to look at the stats from this match, um, you know, Fed, like you said, when he serves well, he wins matches. He serves 66% on first serves. He won 79% of them. I mean, that's a ridiculous stat. Um, and then, of course, you know, him being the GOAT and the veteran on tour, he saves seven of seven break points. A great stat there. Uh, but the other thing that I want to bring up that you said was he said he feels pain-free. The dude has spent no time on court. I mean, this, this match was an hour and three minutes. His match against Gojo was an hour 17. And his match against Vavrinka was 59 minutes. I mean, the dude spent like three and a half hours on court and he's in the quarterfinals. Yeah, he's rolling. So, so I mean, look, if there's any case to be made for him winning this tournament, I think it's now. Uh, especially going up against Hercotch next round, who has probably spent the most time on court with three three-set matches. Yep. Um, so, uh, I think we, we've got a a bright future for fed in this tournament. Yeah. Oh, I totally hope you're right. I mean, it, it looks like we're on a collision course for that fed Rafa semifinal. I mean, oh, I'd be sick. I'm hoping we get it, man. And I hope it's epic. I really do. I mean, for me, that'll basically be the final that for everybody. If we do it get is. that, that'll be the final because yeah. if you look at the top half of the draw, you know, Joker's gone. It's the final's not nearly going to be as good as, as the semi there, but you know, hopefully we can get that and just treat that as as our final, and I'll be happy. Definitely, and that was a, a great little transition into the other you know matches that went on today. So as you said, in the top half of the draw, we don't have Djokovic, and we're still yet to to see the Cole Schreiber and Monfils match. But uh, Dominic Team does take out Doctor Evo, as you like to say, Evo Karlovic four and three in a in a pretty convincing win. Uh, somewhat surprised that by that score, to be honest, you know team who has been playing well in this tournament hasn't been playing well before uh, and Karlovic with his serve here in the slow courts I, I I'm definitely surprised by you know the, the two break two set win I don't know about you yeah I am a little bit but Dr. Evo's 40 I mean I'm gonna give him a break now every single yeah, time totally. I, you know I mean any tournament that he plays in if he's going as far as the round of 16 
I think that's great. You know, it's just it, it's a tough matchup. Team is heavy ground strokes. You know, just going to be very consistent. Um, and I don't think Evo had the best serving day, so it, the rest of his game doesn't quite stack up. But it's great to see him playing still. The guy's forty. Totally. I mean, yeah, the guy is forty. Enough said. <laughs> uh, so looking at the next matches that happened today, uh, so we we had Ranich play Struff, and he won that four and three. And look, Ranich played like trash the the beginning of this match. I, I'm honestly shocked that he was able to pull out that first set. Uh, so if he's able to play like trash, win this match in straights, I'd be worried about him moving forward. His serve looks ridiculous right now. That's what's been saving him in these matches. And so, uh, I would definitely be worried about him matching up, uh, over these next few rounds. Uh, anything to say there? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, with his serve, he's a threat against anybody whenever he steps on the court. I mean, he, he has the ability to pop 140 on the serve on command at any time. So, you know, a guy that can do that is is automatically a major threat. So, yeah, no, I mean, we could we could easily see him come out of that top half of the draw, I think. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I mean, so the, his opponent tomorrow is Kesmenovic. Um, and Kesmenovic takes down Nishioka uh, after a 6-4 and then a retirement. Uh, and I told you I was going to rant about this on this pod because nothing frustrates me more than a player beating someone who, you know, beating anyone that's a good player has a chance at this tournament and then freaking defaulting or pulling out next round. Like, oh my God. FAA was on a roll. He came, he was down 1-5 in that third against Nishioka, had a chance, freaking blows it, and then Nishioka is going <laughs> to retire? Like, oh my god. No, I was so irritated when I saw that. That'll be the end of my rant. Good You're luck right, to Kazmanovic against Ranich, I guess. You're right, but <laughs> a, a counterpoint here. Look, was Nishioka supposed to just give FAA the match? Because No, he, of course not. But I mean, what do you want the guy to do, right? I, mean, I want him not- to suck it up. And play the rest of the match against Kazmenovic. You you cannot be unless like you're rolling your ankle or freaking tearing your ACL. Like don't retire from this match. You're in the round of sixteen. You have a chance at a quarterfinal. Like suck it up, push the f- through. I don't know. Hey, I I hear you, man. I I agree. I do on some levels. I mean, I would have loved to have seen FAA in that position because I think he'd probably still be in the tournament right now. Yeah. But, you know, Nishioka, he's a smaller guy. I feel like every match that that guy plays is just such a grind to where, I don't know. No doubt. I don't know if his body's going to be able to hold up, to be completely honest. Yeah. And, And that's a great point because I know some people have been throwing him in, you know, Oh, the the potential top twenty category. I'm not so certain, man. I've I've had this debate with with Gruskin. That's the only other time when I mention his name uh, before. And you know, I, I don't see it. He's a great player, but I don't see a consistent winning pattern from him. I don't. Yeah, he just doesn't have the weapons. I mean, he's super fast. He has good traits. I, I like the effort that he puts in, you know, m- minus the retirements and, and such. But uh, <laughs> no, look, I mean, he's a scrappy player. He's five foot seven or whatever. So you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. He does what he can do. He's already made it. You know, I think he's been top 80, top 75 in the world. So, um, you know, top 20 potential. I'm with you on that one. I think that may be pushing it a little bit too far. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get on Gruskin for that one. Don't worry. 
All right, good, good. Uh, well, moving on to the last match, this is the Rafa over Krajinovic, and I actually didn't get a chance to see this match, but it uh, seemed fairly convincing. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see it and have any thoughts on this. Yeah, I saw a little bit of it. I mean, Rafa, you know, we mentioned Roger looking very good. Rafa has looked oh. pretty much equally as good. I mean, to be completely honest, he's been off court quickly. One and one in his first match against Donaldson, three and one over Schwartzman, and three and four over Krajinovic. I mean, this guy's winning matches routinely. Mm hmm. So, I mean, I didn't want to break it down, but I did take a quick peep at his stats, and this is just absurd. So he, he served 56% uh, first serves, which means, you know, basically half and half first, second serve. He won 69% of his first serves, but he won 83% of his second serves. I mean, yeah, that I mean, just goes to show how freaking dominant he is from the ground right now. Oh, he, yeah. He he looks so good. Yeah, I mean, if with a stat like that, you're not losing the match. I mean, if you, if you can back up your second serve with 82% of your second serve points won, <laughs> you're not losing. You're just no. not. I'm sorry. That's it, just good night. Just absurd. Oh, God. Well, look, like you said, I hope we get to see – a Rafa Fed semi, uh, you know, looking forward to the the next matches for the men. We have Kazmenovic against Ranich. We have team versus either Monfier or Cole Schreiber, who will go on shortly. Um, and then on the bottom half, we've got Fed, Herkoc, and Kachanov Nadal. It's going to be a fun semifinals. Quarterfinals, excuse me. We do a little rewind there, Westoff. Yep. It's going to be a fun quarterfinal. A hundred percent. The match that I'm watching, Rothman, is Hatchinoff against Nadal. And I don't know if yep. you remember this, but it's actually a rematch of the U.S. Open. Remember the match yep. they played at the U.S. Open last year? That was epic. Yeah. Absol They've had some sick matchups in the past. I am hoping that tomorrow's is anything – or tomorrow or the next day. I don't even know if they play tomorrow. I think the quarterfinals are actually split. But whenever they do play, either tomorrow or the next day – uh, if that match is half of what that U.S. Open match was, then we are in for a special one, man. That was just – Hatchinoff was playing at a level that I had never seen him play back last oh. year. And if he can somehow, you know, bring that kind of level to the match against Nadal, it's going to be unbelievable. A hundred percent. I mean, for those who don't remember, it was a 5-7-7-5-7-6-7-6 match. And I think this was the match where people – really learned the Kiachinov name and and how amazing, you know, this guy is and the talent that he has. Yep. So, uh, 100%, that is the match to watch for the quarterfinals. It's going to be awesome. Um, but before we move on to to the women's side real quick, uh, anything else on, on the men's side of uh, the Indian Wells? I think that's it, man. I mean, obviously... A lot of the round of 16 matches didn't really live up to my expectations. We only had mm -hmm. one three-setter. little disappointing, but I think some of these quarterfinals are really shaping up to be good. Hopefully, we can you know, we can get that Fed-Rafa semifinal. I think that'd be outstanding. And, uh, yeah, no. I mean, it's been a great tournament. We've seen guys break through that we definitely didn't think we would see. Herkoc, Kecmanovic. I mean, we, we weren't expecting them in the quarterfinals. So. No, not at all. This has been definitely a, a shocker for a lot of the men's draw, but we have spent our fair share of time and we are 
pushing the 27 minute mark. So I want to quickly hit on the women's draw, uh, even though there's only one match to break down before we move on to our last topics. The only match that happened today, because the other match is on right now, is the Andreescu versus Muguruza. And I mean, not a whole lot to say. <laughs> 6-0-6-1, domination. I mean, people are now throwing out the Andreescu potential future number one uh, commentary out there. I mean, talking about her in the top five. She's 18 years old. She's a beast. Um, yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this, t- to be completely fair, I mean, this was like a high school match. I mean, it wasn't even, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't even a contest. And no disrespect. I mean, Muguruza is obviously a Grand Slam champion. She's phenomenal. But the thing that I, I really, the thing that bothers me about her is that she's so hot and cold. She's either the best player in the world or like not even a top 100 player in the world. It seems like there's no middle ground. She's either on or off. She doesn't have like a middle kind of day. And she was not even in this match. I mean, from the beginning, it looked like she lost interest. She knew she had no shot to win with the form that she was, was in today. And yeah, Andre Eskew, I mean, she's going to be in the top 10 here shortly. She's only 18, but she's got a ton of game. I like what I see out of her. Yeah, I, I do as well. And I want to bring up one quick point, uh, a little tangent for us to have. So uh, Muguruza's coach came on court midway through the second and was telling her, you know, got to change things up. You got to, he was being kind of blunt with her, which I actually really love from a coach telling her that she's not changing anything. He was being kind of not, not harsh, but it, it actually almost was harsh in a way. Um, but to my question, I, I honestly loved hearing that commentary from him and seeing that coaching on court for, for Muguruza. I think we need to bring it to the men's game. I would have loved to have seen Shapo's coach come on when he was playing Hercotch today and, you know, get some, you know, pump up from him and say, you know, stop throwing the racket, pick your game up, you know, be a little bit smarter and more patient. You know, what do you think about bringing coaching to, to the men's side of the game? All right, I'm gonna oppose you on this one, Rothman. Oh I, no way! I, I'm bringing a different spin to it, man. I'm old school. You know me, man. I I'm as old school as it gets when it comes to rules and and scoring and basically anything to do with tennis. I I am as old school as possible. I don't want to see it in the men's game. I don't look. I, would it be? Would it be exciting? Would it be something new and fresh that fans could kind of check out? Yes, I'll, I'll give you that. But what separates tennis from all of the other sports that people watch and follow? Yeah. Football, basketball, I- they all get coaching every single player, you know, timeouts, everything like that. Tennis is different. It's unique. The player is by themselves. And for me, the that's what makes tennis so unbelievably great is that the players themselves are the ones that are doing the work. Yes, coaches can help on the practice court. They can help after matches. They can help get you prepared. But the players are the ones that actually win the matches. Roger Federer is the GOAT, not because of a coach, but because he has done all the work himself. You know, I I don't know. I, I hear where you're coming from. I get it. But if you're asking me, my answer is no. Let's keep it the way it is. Okay, okay so I hear you. Um, look, like you said, Fed, I mean, Fed's won 1,190 matches. 
he he's only 67 behind Connors for all time. So he's done that all by himself. I hear you. And I originally was a totally against the coaching on the women's side. I thought it was ridiculous. I, yeah. I still think it's kind of ridiculous. I, obviously, I just was a proponent of it because I, I like to hear that commentary. I think it's interesting for the sport. But now that we're we're here, we're in our current state, why, why are we not going to bring this to the men's game? Why is this only on the women's side? I, I think now that we're here in our current state, I think it should be on both sides. I think we should be getting that insight into the men's game too. If, if the players don't want to bring the coaches on, they don't have to. But I think it is such an interesting dynamic and it is so interesting to hear the coaches and especially with the next-gen guys. I mean, I dude, Fed, Nadal, those guys, they never need anyone on court. But I would love to hear these next-gen coaches, uh, the coaches of the next-gen guys, talk to them and, and give them a little insight and and help them kind of figure out what's going on in their in their games. I, I, I truly think where we are today it would be such a benefit to to the 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 fan and and that is ultimately what you know tennis is looking to do is is find more of a way to intrigue the fan bring in more more tennis enthusiasts and i, I really think people would enjoy it that's that is where my questions stem from and where my thoughts are now yeah i mean th- those are fair points they really are and if it's in the women's game you know if you're making that point yeah, why can't it be in the men's game if it's in the women's game? I guess I would just say, let's remove it from the women's game then altogether just to yeah. make it fair. You know, that's probably where I would go with it. But no, I mean, I agree. If if those next-gen coaches are going to come out onto the court, of course I'm going to listen. I mean, I listen when the women's coaches come out there. I want to hear what they're saying. I agree with you. Ah, it's just, it's so hard for me to... I don't know, man. I guess maybe I'm just too not willing to change, but I don't know. I've always loved tennis for, for what it is. I mean, I remember, you know, as a little kid, just growing up watching the slams, you know, how it used to be all that good stuff. When I became a fan, you know, and I guess innovation's good, right? It's never really going to be a bad thing, but I'm always going to have that old school mindset. I guess I I don't think I can get rid of it no matter what. It's always going to be there partially for me, at least that's just my opinion. Yeah, uh, I hear you. I, I really do. And I think we're somewhat on the same page. And, and I did say that we would keep this pod under 40 minutes. And we have a f- two other tangents that I want to bring up. So we're, I think we're going to cut it off there unless you have any very last words on this point. All good. All good. All right, cool. So West off. cue the next tangents. Tangent. Oh, give me a little rewind. West off. cue the next tangent sound effect. So the next question, and this is actually something that I'm, I'm going to let you take the reins on. You brought up something about Indian Wells in Miami. You want to you wanna hit me with, with your thoughts here? Yeah, so I, I wrote an article the other day. Uh, check it out, CrackedRackets.com. Basically, <laughs> got to put the plug in there. Uh, Absolutely. You know, all I <clears throat> wanted to do was raise the question because I saw on Twitter it had been talked about a little bit between, you know, some some tennis commentators, some players, fans. You know, should Indian Wells and Miami separate themselves from the other Masters 1000s and become, you know, something more like a Grand Slam? Because they're the only tournaments that are longer than eight days on tour. Every other tournament, obviously, minus the Grand Slams. 
uh, is only a seven, seven or eight day tournament. So, you know, every year, everybody kind of gears up for Indian Wells in Miami. They know that those are two of the biggest tournaments besides the slams. And it's just worth wondering, should the draws get expanded to a full 128, you know, to allow some lower ranked players opportunities at ranking points and more prize money and things like that? I don't know. I mean, my I don't really have much of an opinion on it either way, but I wanted to just bring some awareness mm-hmm. to it and get people thinking, you know, would that be a good idea or should we leave it as is? And even though these players are there for two weeks, should it be the same? Should it have the same amount of prize money, the same points as every other tournament? Uh, yeah, it, it's a tough question, and, and I know you know people have said that you know, Indian Wells is the fifth Grand Slam, you know, quote unquote, the fifth Grand Slam. Right. Um. No, I, I don't. I don't want to see it have more points or you know more prize money or any of that. If anything, I think you know we create another tournament, a new you know fifth Grand Slam. I think I like the way that they're, you know, we have the Masters tournaments. Uh, and if you want to create another level of tournament that's between the Masters and the Grand Slams, that's fine. But I don't see a reason to change the current status of Indian Wells Miami. I love the the Sunshine duo between the two. Uh, yes, they're a little bit longer, but honestly, I just think it's because the, the players enjoy being in Palm Springs in Miami for a little extra time. <laughs> that's a good point. I, I don't disagree with that. Let me bring one more thing up to you, though, Rothman, and just I, I want to see what you think about this. A guy like Marcos Jerome, right, who came through qualifying and actually won two rounds in the main draw, had a phenomenal tournament, right? Kind mm-hmm. of a breakthrough yep. tournament for him. Totally. You know what he comes out of there with at the end of the day? 61 ranking points. That's it. After all that, 61 points. He's, How is that? Because that's the way that it's set up. Now, with the buys in the first round for all the seeds, what it takes to get into the third round is obviously winning your first round match, and then you have to play a seed in the second round. And if you beat that seed, which is a top 32 player, you're only guaranteed 45 ranking points. The other uh, 16 points are coming from qualifying, where he made it through qualifying. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm looking at that now. I, I... That's the argument, right? You know what? I I think you're right. And that that is where this argument stems. But I think in that case, the rearrangement should be made to the distribution of points and prize money in these tournaments. Like the winner is making one point three mil, and first rounders are getting sixteen thousand. Redistribute some of that wealth. That that needs and and same thing. Ten points to the first round, twenty five to the second, forty five to the third. And then you go 91, 83, 60. Like, I, I, again, I think those that point distribution needs to be a little bit different, but if see, anything. This is how it goes for the other Masters thousands that are smaller draws and only one-week events. That's the same point distribution because they're yeah. all Masters 1000s. Right. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think it's tough. And then I think, unfortunately, that is just then, – then maybe all of them need – uh, a change, a, a redistribution. That, that <laughs> Redo is that... the entire ATP. ATP, you freaking blew it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's where I stand on it, to be honest. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's a good discussion to have because I feel like every year, you know, we really get up for Indian Wells in Miami. I mean, they're awesome tournaments. I really look forward to those two, you know, specifically every single year. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Well, look, that was a great question. And maybe we throw this on the Cracked Rackets Twitter and see what other people think. But we're approaching the 40 minute mark. And I want to talk about, uh, give each of us a little bit of time for this last little piece. Obviously, this is a a hot topic right now with the college scandal going on. Um, You know, I want to give you 30 seconds to just kind of riff on your unfiltered thoughts and, and I'll do the same because I know uh, a little sneak preview Gruskin will be recording a GSP on this and all things college uh, tennis related uh, coming up here soon with a special guest and uh, so we will not be on that so I want to give us each you know 30 seconds to kind of give unfiltered thoughts so uh, West off start the clock go ahead Sokoviak. Yeah, so obviously you're talking about the FBI scandal where, uh, you know, college coaches have been involved with illegal recruiting. And yeah, no, it's a sad situation. But to be honest with you, Rothman, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, no. I I know that this stuff goes on. Um, there are many other coaches that didn't actually get caught that are doing this as well. Um, it just so happened that a couple of them had to, had to bite the bullet. And it's a sad case. I mean, it's something that you never want to see violations, cheating, you know, whatever you want to call it. We don't want that in our sport. We don't want that in any sports, but the fact of the matter is it happens. And, you know, what can we do to change it is really what I would like to, to throw out there. It's, it's hard because there are so many colleges, there's so many universities and there are people with lots of money out there and money talks, man. It always has. And it always will people with money are going to try and find their way, you know, to get what they want. And unfortunately, that's how it goes a lot of times. But, you know, I think my 30 seconds is up. I could go on and yeah, on. Yeah, I was about to cut you off because that was going to be the minute mark. And Go I, ahead, I, man. <laughs> go ahead. So, so Westoff, stop the clock there and, and uh, give, me the, give me the clock now. So I agree with you. The, the money thing is, is going to be true forever. Um, it's just super disappointing and I'm going to, you know, give myself a little, uh, a humble brag here. I was recruited by the Georgetown coach, believe it or not. You probably, you probably were too. Uh, and he was the, co- one of the coaches that, um, you know, was being indicted for, for this whole scandal. Um, look, like it's just, it, I could have, look, and I'm glad I didn't end up there. I had a great time at Michigan. I could have been a guy that, you know, seriously was a recruit. And he took some random kid who doesn't even play tennis to bring him into the school. And he totally could have ruined my chance at college tennis. Uh, and I just think it's just crazy as someone who loves the sport and you would think has the integrity of the game would do something like this. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to get too much more into it. Uh, I know Gruskin is going to go, you know, into depth, bring in the details about this. And so definitely uh, check out that GSP when it comes out. But we have overstayed uh, you know, our welcome here on, on the mini break, because we are at the 42 minute mark real quick to everyone listening, check out crackedrackets.com. Check out the Instagram, the Twitter, the YouTube, all the podcasts, cracked interviews, great shot podcast, and the mini break for, you know, all of your tennis content, uh, and make sure to, to like rate and subscribe as always. But I got to give, you know, a special thank you to you, Matt, the cracks to for joining me today. Your enthusiasm is always appreciated. And uh, you get me fired up to, to do this pod. It's always a pleasure, buddy. Anytime. 
Awesome, man. Well, as well, got to thank the, the super producers, Maxwell Fliegner and Daniel Westoff. You guys have uh, hopefully not too bad of an editing job to do. But to end this podcast, as always, what do we say, Matt? That's a break. There it is. And we'll see you tomorrow.